Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Nerdy Convos. Um, I'm recording this not too long after I recorded the first episode because I kind of wanted to just continue the topic that we were on in that episode right away instead of waiting for so long to kind of finish it off. And also because there's been some other stuff that's come out recently regarding the MCU's next Spider-Man film. And I've just, just right before this, I was just binge watching a bunch of Spider-Man videos regarding, you know, MCU Spider-Man and, you know, other live action Spider-Man movies. So I just wanted to hop right into it and kind of get onto the subject of this episode and go over it so last episode I mentioned that I wanted to get into the discourse between fans when it came to everyone's opinions on which live action version of Spider-Man is the best or which is the most comic accurate and which which version is actually you know just better overall and I didn't touch on my opinions personally in that last episode because I wanted to save them for this. So we're going to kind of really dive into everything as best as possible while also I will be going over my personal opinions on the whole matter and also just kind of going over everything I've seen online regarding this kind of conversation. But first, I want to touch on all of the recent MCU Spider-Man 3 uh, stuff that's come out recently. So, the first piece of news comes from comicbook.com. And one of their lead writers, Brandon Davis, who... If you don't follow this guy on Instagram or Twitter, I would definitely recommend it because he definitely doesn't do things like any other journalist online he actually takes his time to like make sure any information that gets brought up is verified and when unconfirmed information gets brought up he labels it as a rumor he doesn't just jump straight to conclusions and say that it's official and also his tweets and stuff all of his posts are just really fun to read and look at so I would definitely recommend following him. I'm pretty sure on Twitter and Instagram, his username is Brandon Davis BD. Like that's his at. Um, or you could just search Brandon Davis on both and I'm sure it'll pop up. But anyway, the first piece of information coming from him is that apparently Charlie Cox, who played Daredevil on the Marvel Netflix series was spotted filming scenes for Spider-Man 3 in Atlanta and actually finished has wrapped filming all of his necessary scenes for the movie and apparently this is something he witnessed himself Brandon Davis I don't know how true that is because with the article that he put out about it there were no photos but maybe that was just like a security thing like there were way too many crew members around to take a photo and like let something like that leak but 
I mean, there's nothing stopping him from writing about it. Like, there's no NDA that he was probably forced to sign about it. So, obviously, it's okay for him to write about something like that, though publicly it's unconfirmed even if he says that it is something he witnessed himself we still can't be 100 percent sure but there have been a lot of rumors going around that charlie cox's daredevil might show up in spider-man 3 to act as peter parker's uh defense attorney if there happens to be a moment in the story where he gets brought to court to face charges for apparently being responsible for the death of a bunch of people in London at the end of Far From Home, like Mysterio's fake video made him out to be. And then, other than that, the other little pieces of new stuff that we got about the film are a bunch of set photos that came from JustJared.com. The first set showed... Spider-Man stopping some low-level criminals from, I think, robbing a store. It wasn't very clear what they were doing, but um, one of the criminals in the scene is apparently played by Tom Holland's brother, Harry, which confirms that he has a small cameo, which I don't know... I know one of Tom Holland's close friends had a cameo in Peter's introduction scene in Infinity War on the bus, but uh, other than that, this is the first time that someone personally close to Tom Holland has cameoed in one of his Spider-Man movies, because I'm pretty sure he's had at least one of his brothers cameo in one of his other movies outside of Spider-Man. And uh, from these photos, it appears that the suit that Peter received in Far From Home, or not received, that he made, uh, has been updated a bit. The uh, belt is a bit pointier towards the bottom, much like the classic suit from the comics. And there are no longer the black, I guess, cartridge holders on the belt anymore. It's just completely you know clean like you could just see all the webbing and all the colors like there's nothing blocking it so that might be something driven by the story as we've never really seen an upgrade or an addition or something taken away from one of Peter's suits in the MCU without it being explained through the story so it'll be nice to find out why His suit is now a bit different if it is something touched on at all. And the second set of photos that we got from the set included a wall of posters, which one of the posters was a drawn image of Mysterio saying, I believe. And then another one was a flyer saying, Citizens to Defend Spidey. So, we can now officially say that they're not ignoring the cliffhanger at the end of Far From Home. We will, it will be fully addressing, the plot will probably be completely based around this, because we will have people in the public who th- agree with Mysterio and believed his video that Spider-Man is a criminal and a mass murderer, and then we have people who 
think there's something else going on and are willing to defend Spider-Man probably because the people who are defending Spider-Man have seen him do what he does around New York and are probably aware of the fact through, you know, the news or whatever that he was involved in helping taking down Thanos in Infinity War and Endgame. So that kind of helps to clarify that we're not just skipping over it. It's not going to be like the cliffhanger of Homecoming where Aunt May finds out Peter Spider-Man and then come Endgame and Far From Home, she's completely fine with him. Although I did slightly touch on that in the last episode, so and I'll probably I'll probably be getting into it a little bit more later into this episode. But along with those photos of those flyers, we also got shots of Peter walking into a shop that MJ works at, which from descriptions of the scene they were shooting seems to show that Peter is nervous trying to talk to MJ and that she doesn't really acknowledge him as anything more than a classmate, which makes me think and this might be possible spoilers but I think just showing like us getting these set photos is kind of spoilers enough I have a feeling that the end of this movie the final act will kind of all come to a conclusion with Doctor Strange stepping in and erasing the world's memory of knowing Peter's identity as Spider-Man and not only does that include the general public but it also includes everyone close to Peter, including MJ. And it, it probably also means that she does not remember the relationship that her and Peter started towards the end of Far From Home, which is sort of taking from the Spider-Man comic story called One More Day, where, oh, excuse me, after the events of the comic Civil War, when Peter reveals his identity to the public willingly, when he joins Tony Stark's side of everything, you know, he puts himself out there. There's the iconic panel of him with his mask off saying, I'm Peter Parker and I've been Spider-Man since I was 15 years old. And then as a result of that, a bunch of supervillains start targeting Aunt May and to make sure that MJ or not Aunt MJ Aunt May to make sure that Aunt May stays safe and no one can hurt her or potentially kill her Peter makes a deal with the Marvel Universe's version of Satan aka Mephisto where Mephisto is like yeah I'll erase everyone's memory of your identity so that you can save your aunt but in return I want your marriage to Mary Jane Watson and Peter and Mary Jane agree and just like that Mephisto wipes everyone's memory and Peter is safe Aunt May is safe but now Peter and MJ no longer have the relationship that they've had for so long in the comics I have a feeling that the, this movie will be slightly drawing on that, but instead of Mephisto being the one to erase everyone's memory, it will most likely be Doctor Strange, since he is confirmed to be a part of this movie. 
And to me, that means that beginning with the next Spider-Man trilogy, which I discussed last episode, John Watts has signed on to do three Spider-Man trilogies for the MCU. I have a feeling this will either mean that Peter has to try and rebuild his relationship with MJ, which might end with her with something happening to her where she she's able to get past the memory wipe that Doctor Strange does at the end of Spider-Man 3 and she remembers and she gets back with Peter. Or this could be when they decide to introduce Gwen Stacy into the MCU and it creates a conflict for Peter where he really wants to be with MJ because he cares about her so much. But then Gwen Stacy comes in and she's showing a huge interest in Peter and he's starting to like her a bit and he just doesn't know what to do, which that that's kind of like classic like Peter Parker luck, like you know, having one thing in mind that he's really set on doing and then something else comes in and kind of mucks all of that up and now he's conflicted on what to do. And usually it's between Peter and stuff that he just does in in his normal life and then stuff he has to do with Spider-Man. But I think seeing Peter conflicted with stuff that's just happening in his normal life and it doesn't have anything to do with Spider-Man is also important to show in any Spider-Man media because constantly seeing Peter wanting to do something and then his job as Spider-Man getting in the way kind of gets old after a while, especially if you can't come up with any new creative ways of doing that. So I think it's nice that they might be going in a slightly different direction and showing something a, a tad different. But, um, yeah, that so far, that's what we have in terms of kind of smallish details about the MCU's third Spider-Man movie. Um, I was thinking the other night, I went through and I kind of checked out the dates for when, like, the teaser and the official trailer for Far From Home dropped, um, adjacent to the movie's official release date. And I would say, based on that, we are most likely getting a teaser trailer for Spider-Man 3 in either March or April, so within the next you know, three, four months. And then we will get our possibly our first official trailer around June, July. Maybe a second trailer in like September, October. And then possibly a final trailer around November leading up to the movie's December 16th release date, I think, is the official date that they have set. Which, so far... I don't think they've had to shut down production on the movie due to anything COVID-related. So as long as that keeps up and they don't have to push themselves back for any reason, I think that release date should stay pretty much certain and we should be able to see the movie by the end of this year, which I'm really looking forward to because by that point, personally for me... um. I'll be 18, I'll be driving, and I'll be completely out of high school. So I'll, you know, if if I see it as safe enough to be able to go to the, to the movie theaters to see Spider-Man 3, then 
I'm just gonna go like as soon as I can like I will go opening night if I'm able to get tickets uh quick enough but um yeah so that's everything regarding Spider-Man 3 as of now I'm sure throughout probably the next month or so we'll get a bit more because I I'm pretty sure they're shooting the movie up until like June I think which would line up with when they would possibly have a first trailer like a first official trailer ready for the film like June July because I believe they started shooting in November and they said that they're going to be shooting for about six months so that sort of lines up so around May or June they should wrap filming as long as everything stays on track and production doesn't get shut down due to any COVID cases or anything like that you know so and also one more detail is that the movie seems to be set at least from the scenes that set photos came out of the movie should be either entirely or partially set around Christmas time based on some decorations and the fact that they had snow falling during some scenes so we're finally getting a Spider-Man movie set during a different time period other than like summer or fall you know which I'm pretty sure those two are usually around when Spider-Man films are like set because both Homecoming well Homecoming was more set around like actually no that was fall since they were one of Peter's main focuses was asking Liz to the homecoming dance, which is usually in the beginning of the year for high school. That is around, like, late summer, early fall. And then Far From Home was an entirely summer movie, so... Anyway, now that we've cleared up all that, we've gotten through some Spider-Man 3 news, let's get to the elephant in the room for this episode. Which, hold on... Okay, sorry, I had to take a sip of soda because I know I'm about to just ramble for possibly 30 plus minutes. So, ever since Tom Holland's appearance as Peter Parker, Spider-Man, in Captain America Civil War in 2016, the internet has not been able to shut up regarding arguments and discussions and debates about who is the best live-action Spider-Man and everything that comes with that argument. Now, I know there are officially three live-action movie Spider-Men, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland, but for the sake of this the the main argument that I'm going to be going over we're pretty much going to be leaving out any conversations about Andrew Garfield's because from what I've only uh, from what I've always seen online and from what little things that I've engaged in from time to time the argument always ends up being specifically Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man versus Tom Holland's Spider-Man. That's what it always comes down to. So, for the sake of this, I'm going to be focusing on their Spider-Men 
and I'm not going to be touching either super heavily or even at all on Andrew Garfield's. So now that we got that out of the way, let's start. The first argument that I always see, and this is the one that I think has the most weight to it when it comes to people's opinions on this, is comic accuracy. Now I said at the end of last episode, I was saving my personal opinions on this specific subject until this one. So, I personally think Tom Holland is the most comic accurate Peter Parker we've gotten out of all three live action Spider-Men. The reason I think this, I'm not just saying that because he's young and he's he makes jokes and he wears a comic accurate costume and he has the same powers as Peter Parker in the comics. That's not the reason I'm saying this. I when people talk about comic accuracy when it comes specifically to Spider-Man, everyone always like Whenever you argue with someone about stuff like this, they'll always jump to that being the main argument when it comes to comic accuracy. And then the people they're arguing against will be like, oh no, I'm not talking about those. Those are really basic, and of course anyone could say that it's true for that. But I'm talking about the stuff that's deeper than that. I'm talking about, like, you know, all the stuff that comes with Peter Parker's character in the comics. So... After reading a few of these arguments in comment sections or Twitter threads or whatever, YouTube set YouTube comment sections, I was like, because at first I didn't really know if I really did think Tom Holland's Spider-Man was the most comic accurate. At first I was, I thought I was just telling myself that because I enjoy his performance so much. So I decided I need a way to really sit and just make sure that I truly believe this. So, I read through some Spider-Man comics, both recent Spider-Man comics, like very recent within the last two, three years. Some stories that span Peter's, a lot a lot of Peter's timeline, and a I read through some older Spider-Man comics, like, from when Spider-Man first started showing up, like, some of his very first comics. Now, if you want to know, specifically, which of the recent comics I read, just in case you think that I might be using one that's sort of cheating, or that, you know, maybe doesn't fit the main continuity of the comics and that it's just like, it's just a comic that Peter so happens to be more like Tom Holland's Spider-Man than he normally is. The comic that I read, or comics I should say, I read a few issues. I read the first three, four issues of Nick Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man run from 2018. That is probably the best 
recent comic run that I've read so far. I'm nowhere close to finishing it, and literally right now I only have books one to six. Like, and I know there's been a lot of issues since then that I need to catch up on, but just from the issues that I've read, it's definitely my favorite, my favorite comic run so far, literally with any character, because I have a lot of different comics about a lot of different characters, and so far that's my favorite one. Now, I don't know exactly which issues I read of the, like, old Spider-Man comics, but... If you're wondering specifically what it is, or where you can possibly find these issues, I got it from like a huge collection book of old Spider-Man comics from, um, I forget, it was, there was a Marvel Comics exhibit at, um, at this place in Philadelphia. I forget exactly what what building it was, but at the end of the exhibit, there was like a little gift shop, and I found this collection book of old Spider-Man comics, and it was like 50 bucks, and I decided to get it just because I wanted to, I have, up until when I read whatever issues that I read from that collection, I had never read an old Spider-Man comic. Sure, I'd seen panels. And I've, like, seen a few, you know, pages here and there for showing, like, references to stuff when it came to whatever. But I had never actually sat down and myself read a full issue of a classic Spider-Man comic. So I bought that book, and I did. And then the third story that I read was Spider-Man Life Story, which came out, I think, 2019, which shows Peter Parker's timeline in the Marvel comics but also answers the question what if Peter aged realistically along with when those events happened like his first appearance really was in the 60s and then by the 2010s he's really old you know he doesn't really have the agility and the reflexes that he once had and it's a really great story like it's one of my favorite Spider-Man stories out of like a whole like a really good catalog of Spider-Man stories it's one of my favorites so those are the things that I read to kind of reassure myself that I did believe that Tom Holland Spider-Man was the most comic accurate and even after doing that I still believe that and I know a lot of people would be like well what about the fact that Sam Raimi basically just used the classic comics as an outline for his Peter Parker? All right, and he still got a lot of stuff wrong, in my opinion, at least. I know there's a good amount of people online who don't agree with that, but my my problem is with this argument is that people get so nitpicky because not only do they talk about the comic accuracy of Peter Parker himself... They also get into the stories that the movies tell and the side characters, Peter's supporting cast. Now, we've already talked about MJ and why she's different in the MCU as opposed to how she is in the comics and even how she is in, you know, the Sam Raimi films. But people fail to realize the Sam Raimi movies also get MJ wrong 
aside from, you know, a few things, you know, a few character details like her appearance and whatnot, they still get her fairly wrong. Like, in the comics, she starts off as a party girl that Peter meets in college. It Nowhere in the movies do, is that exhibited. If you really want to get nitpicky, first of all, MJ canonically is not Peter's first girlfriend. Like, and I'm talking if you want to get really nitpicky. P- canonically in the comics, Peter's first relationship, which is in high school, is with Betty Brant, which... If you know, the MCU doesn't follow this either. But the thing is, the MCU can't really follow stuff like this to a T because of how much restriction Sony has on what Marvel and Disney can do with the characters. But they do use Betty Brant as a romantic interest to Ned. So she's still closely linked to Peter in a way in the MCU. So to me, that's closer than we ever got in the Raimi movies. In the Raimi movies, the only time we ever see Betty Brant, and I mean literally the only time, at the beginning of the first Spider-Man movie in 2002, when Peter is chasing his bus and the bus driver finally stops and lets him on, the nerdy girl with glasses and pigtails that tells Peter that he can't sit next to her is apparently Betty Brant. I'm not even joking, this was confirmed not even that long ago. This was something that was finally confirmed after over a decade and a half. Up until this point, no one knew who that girl was. I don't even think she was listed as Betty Brant in the credits of those movies. Or, I'm sure up until recently she wasn't even listed as Betty Brant on, like, IMDb. So... You know, that's a problem, in my opinion. The fact that someone who kind of helps lead to Peter's, like, you know, romantic life, or kind of kickstarts it in the comics, is, like, has literally five seconds of screen time in the original trilogy, that's a bit of a problem to me. Second of all, and we're still staying nitpicky, because... My thing is with nitpickiness is that a lot of specifically YouTubers who make video essays criticizing the MCU Spider-Man tend to always nitpick his character and the problems they have with him. Probably the best example of this, and I'm sure everyone knows this, is High Top Films, which, listen, I don't have a problem with the guy. I enjoy a lot of his videos. I think a lot of his video essays on, like, other comic book movie stuff is really great, and I enjoy watching his stuff. But I just personally think that he's super blinded by nostalgia, and he literally praises the... He praises the Raimi trilogy as, like, the second coming of Christ. And that's a bit ridiculous, in my opinion. He, like... I watched his three-part, like, video essay about the trilogy, each part dedicated to each of the movies, and I really don't remember, aside from the video he did on Spider-Man 3, I really don't remember him pointing out any of the flaws that if he were talking about the MCU Spider-Man, he would have pointed out and and exaggerated them a hundred times, so... 
I just think he has too much of a bias when it comes to preferring Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man over Tom Holland's. But anyway, staying nitpicky, in the comics, Peter, like I mentioned earlier, Peter doesn't meet MJ until college. In the Raimi films, he meets her in high school. And also, Peter's first long-time relationship in the comics, which I'm sure everyone is aware of, is Gwen Stacy. You know, that, like, and Gwen Stacy, her role to Peter Parker and his development moving forward is huge in the comics. It, it is such an emotional, you know, push for Peter Parker's character in the comics. And to completely gloss over that just to get to MJ is ridiculous to me. Like, and here's one of the few times that I might bring up The Amazing Spider-Man. At least they decided to start with Gwen Stacy. And apparently they had plans to bring in Mary Jane in the second movie and possibly carry her over to the third. But they cut out her scene from Amazing Spider-Man 2. But it still would have worked had they kept it in because in Amazing Spider-Man 2, that's when they kill off Gwen Stacy, much how she dies in the comics. Which, by the way, another problem with Raimi's Spider-Man movies is that in the first movie, they pay homage to Gwen Stacy's death, but with Mary Jane, which I have so many issues with that it's ridiculous to me. Like, yeah, paying homage to classic moments from the comics is a big part of a lot of Spider-Man movies and just Spider-Man media in general. But don't do it with, you know, characters that weren't originally involved in those stories. Don't do it so much that it drastically changes the emotional weight and impact of those original moments. And also, I just don't like MJ in the Raimi trilogy. I think she comes off as really snarky, condescending, rude. She has such an attitude towards Peter the entire trilogy, even when they get together. And the problem is, is that everyone praises those movies for having amazing writing and character development. But MJ is just one of those characters where I just don't see that. I can't see that argument completely, you know, be like, oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Like, I just can't in any way. And also, I just, like... Can you can you guys tell how much this infuriates me talking about this? Like, I just... I hate this argument so much because it's like, why can't everyone just like what they want to like and then just let everyone else like what they like? But the problem is, is that I never see people who prefer the MCU Spider-Man argue so harshly and so rudely against fans of the other live-action Spider-Man. It's always the Raimi fans who have to come in super defensive and super mean towards everyone else. That's why I get so upset, and I think how I view those movies has been partially tainted by stuff like that. Because don't get me wrong, I like all three of those movies to an extent. Yes, all three. But I'm still willing to point out all the flaws. But I think recently, I've seen all three of these movies fairly recently... And I think with the context of the way Raimi fans act towards other 
live-action Spider-Man fans, it kind of sours my viewing experiences for the movies, you know? But anyway, um, I don't really have anything bad to say about Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. I think he was handled really well. Only thing that I think everyone can kind of agree on is his costume is fucking dumb. Like, they turned him into a goddamn Power Ranger, and I hate it. Because the classic Green Goblin suit is so iconic, and everyone absolutely loves and adores it. And to change it to an armored motorcyclist outfit just really is really really dumb because I don't think you can say that you want to make a realistic take on Spider-Man and how he would be if he was the only superhero in existence and he lived in a grounded like New York City but then give him a bright red and blue like exaggerated costume but then also say, oh yeah, the villain is just going to wear like this weird, like, kind of scary looking green, completely green armor. It just doesn't make sense to me. Which, by the way, saying that the Raimi Spider-Man suit is bright is so wrong. I only said it just to kind of help prove that point of saying that these movies can call themselves realistic. Because the red and blue on Peter's suit is so toned down, and I hate it. Like, I hate how toned down the colors are in those movies. There is one, count it, one shot in the entire trilogy where the colors of the suit look good. And that is a fully CG shot of Spider-Man webbing himself up the clock tower while fighting Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2. If you go back and you watch the scene where Doc Ock is standing on the top of the clock tower and throwing pieces of the clock down at Peter, when Peter bounces off of one of the hands of the clock and he tries to web up towards Doc Ock to pull him down, if you go back and watch that scene and see how bright the colors of the suit are and then immediately jump to watching Peter and Doc Ock fight on the subway train and see the difference in the colors of the suit... You'll know exactly what I mean when I say that the colors are way too toned down. Like, I don't know why, but it just seems so, like, dull, and I hate it. Like, even with how dark and gritty the Amazing Spider-Man movie, like, the first one at least, kind of was, at least the suit's colors popped a bit more in literally any lighting, in my opinion. So, I just... I don't know why they went so hard on making it such a dark red and blue. The blue almost looks black in some cases, which maybe is an homage to how the shading in early Spider-Man comics made it look black instead of blue. But to me, I just think it was a poor design choice. Like, I don't think they would have been that clever to make an homage to the original suit and its shading. Because that wasn't even meant to be on purpose either that was a complete accident because they just ran out of like that specific like color of blue on some pages so they just had to like kind of mix it in with black a little bit and you got how the comic looks in a lot of classic comics um speaking of doc ock and spider-man 2 he is not accurate to the comics whatsoever (laughs) he really isn't guys i'm sorry 
the fact that he's like this really smart you know romantic who you know is into poetry and he's like sort of philosophical and but at the same time he's also like comedic but at the same time something really small like an inhibitor chip breaking on his neck drives him completely insane it just kind of annoys me like yeah his wife died but I still think that the grieving process probably could have gone normally you know aside from the arms on his back the mechanical arms I still think he could have been able to grieve normally without just instantly going oh okay I'm evil now and I want to you know burn the world with this sun that I'm making um because in my eyes and in a lot of people's eyes Spider-Man's villains in the comics are all just a bunch of like sort of wealthy or sort of creative nerds who just like just don't like spider-man and they don't like the fact that he's doing good or because of some chemical or science mumbo jumbo they just like they you know something like that happens to them and then society just kind of like ignores them and they're just like oh well i'm look at this spider guy swinging around maybe i'll use him to kind of make an example out of people who try to be good and try to help people like that's a spider-man villain to me and I think Mysterio in Far From Home is the perfect Spider-Man villain we've gotten on screen so far. Right next to Vulture from Homecoming. So, because they, they both fit that description. Sure, their their reasonings are a bit more tied to Iron Man than Spider-Man. But especially Mysterio. Eventually, Mysterio doesn't give a shit about his motivations against Stark. And more or less just cares about literally trying to murder Peter Parker. So... I'd say that's about as close to a comic-accurate Spider-Man villain we've gotten in film. Um, and then jumping to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. Oh god, where do we start with this film? There's so many things wrong. Um, first of all, Gwen Stacy is introduced as a model. Um, yeah, she's kind of thrown in there. And also, uh, her dad, you know, Captain Stacy of from the New York Police Department, he gets, like, two scenes and no character development. You know, we don't see anything important happen with him. You know, that doesn't matter. Because, you know why? Because Gwen Stacy is barely in this movie, and she doesn't even necessarily serve as a romantic interest to Peter. You know why? Because she's dating... Eddie Brock, who is played by Topher fucking Grace from that 70s show. The amount of things wrong with the sentence I just had to say is a prime example of why I do not like these movies and how they portray their characters and their arcs. Gwen Stacy, literally... She, at one point in the movie, and I'm sure you you guys all remember this scene, Peter is about to propose at, to MJ at a diner or a restaurant, whatever. You know, he has the ring in the champagne glass, and, you know, he's going to give it to her, and then she's going to drink it, find the ring, he's going to propose, whatever. And then they get into a little argument or whatever, and then Gwen Stacy comes over just to say hi to Peter, and, you know, she's like, oh, you must be Mary Jane. I've heard so many great things about you, yada, yada, yada. And then she leaves. And then just because I'm pretty sure, like, Gwen Stacy put her hand on Peter's shoulder or whatever, 
MJ literally loses her shit and is like who oh well Peter who was that you know who was why is she why was she touching your shoulder like that you know why was she being all all touchy touchy with you why was she being so like almost intimate with you like what is like are you have you been talking to someone else and Peter probably in one of the only reasonable moments he has in the entire trilogy he's just like MJ she means nothing to me she's a girl from my class we've helped each other out with a few assignments or whatever and that's it you know I you know that's that's it I saved her once as Spider-Man as well but outside of that that's it and also she was pissed off because at Spider-Man's parade that the city threw he did do his upside down kiss with that he did with MJ in the first movie to Gwen Stacy which yes I do understand why MJ is pissed about that but other than that what 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 motivations does she have to think that Gwen Stacy is trying to get with Peter? Nowhere does she ever make that intention clear if it is her intention at all, which I really don't think it is. But also, Peter does that kiss because the public is literally pressuring them when they're both on stage. If he didn't do the kiss and just left, people would have been like, oh, what the hell? Has he got something to hide? Like, him not doing that kiss would have put MJ in danger because everyone would have started to speculate, like, oh, does Spider-Man have, like, a girlfriend? Girlfriend? Like, I wonder who. And then people would start to probably put together the dots and be like, oh, he's always saving this, like, redhead girl. And then people see MJ there and sh- and everyone would be like, who's Spider-Man? You, you, I've seen you before with Spider-Man. You probably know who he is. Who is he? It's stuff like that. But the thing is, MJ is already in danger pretty much the entire trilogy. Literally every movie ends with her being a damsel in distress, and it pisses me off so much. Reportedly, and I don't know how true this is, but reportedly, Gwen Stacy was going to be the one that had to be saved at the end of Spider-Man 3. But then, Kirsten Dunst, who plays MJ had an argument with Sam Raimi saying she wanted to be the one in that position which why why do you want to force your character to be a plot device what the t- Gwen Stacy's character is already a plot device to drive a wedge between Peter and MJ that's enough so why does Kirsten why did Kirsten Dunst reportedly want to just be a plot device for the end of the movie so that Harry could die Peter and her could reconcile and then at the end of the movie, they, you know, kiss in a bar and they go on to probably get married or whatever. Huh? I don't get it. Um. Yeah. And all right. Now let's let's talk. Let's let's talk about the reason why everyone talks about Spider-Man 3. Venom. Venom is so bad. He's so, so bad. The only good thing about him is his design, which, yeah, he's not like huge, but at least they got the spider on the chest, and, you know, he is kind of scary looking, unlike, you know, 2018's Venom, who was big, but didn't have the emblem on the chest, and looked just kind of, like, slimy and gross sometimes, and also that movie sucked, but I'll get into that another episode. Um, but yeah, first of all, Topher Grace was not the way to go. <laughs> if anything, they should have just had Joe Manganiello come back as Flash Thompson, and he just turn into Venom because Flash Thompson eventually does become Venom in the comics and yes he does become Agent Venom but still I feel like that would have been a lot better than 
the version of Eddie Brock we get in this movie. The version of Eddie Eddie Brock we get in this movie, yes, he's a good narrative and characteristic opposite to Peter. You know, he's a douchey journalist who thinks he has all this cool swagger and confidence, but in reality, everyone just sees him as a creep. And he, you know, he bullshits his way through, like, his job, like, when he's trying to sell pictures of Spider-Man to the Daily Bugle, and then Peter, you know, reveals that he just, like, edited the photos and they're fake, and he gets them fired. And then Eddie Brock goes to a church and is like, hey, God, could you murder Peter Parker for me? And at the same time, Peter is up in the bell tower of that church, taking the, ripping the symbiote off of his body, which also, real quick, since it relates to Venom, I hate how the symbiote was handled in this film. Because first of all, it just randomly shows up from space. There's no explanation. I know it's an alien from space in the comics, but it came with a lot of backstory. So it made sense. In this, it just shoots down into Central Park, latches onto Peter's motorbike, and that's that. That's all we get. Sure, we get some exposition from Dr. Connors, but that doesn't really give us much else to work with other than foreshadowing or actually not foreshadowing just telling us straight up what the symbiote is doing to peter which we could have just picked up on from watching the fucker dance around like an idiot in the middle of new york and also slap mj at one point so it's fine um but yeah first of all the symbiote doesn't make peter do these things in the comics yeah it makes him a bit like darker and edgier and like willing to like maybe cross a line and probably kill someone but he doesn't become like a complete douchebag or an asshole it just like the symbiote starts to consume him like as a person so eventually he goes to the fantastic four and he's like you guys got to help me get this shit off of me like i don't i don't want this anymore i don't like what it's doing to me the only person in the comics who enjoyed the black suit was black hat because she thought it was just sexy and then even later in the comics, she makes the a cloth version of the black suit and is like, hey, wear this, please. If you wear this, I will sleep with you. <laughs> that's, li- that's literally her motivation for why she enjoys Peter wearing the black suit so much is just because she like gets turned on by it and seeing him fighting it. And then she's like, okay, I'll sleep with you now. I don't think they ever actually sleep together. I'm just saying that really is her motivation for enjoying it in the comics. But anyway... Yeah, the symbiote, how it works in the movie, I hate. It's, it's you know, no backstory I also hate and how it just randomly comes from space. But anyway, Venom, back on the track. When Eddie Brock gets the symbiote, you know, that first zoom in on him fully engulfed by it, I was like, all right, this is cool, this is dope, badass, Venom, awesome. And then you hear him talk while wearing the symbiote and not having, you know, it peeled back on his face so that you see his actual face. Hearing Topher Grace's voice speak through Venom's mouth is so so disjointing and pulled me out of the movie so goddamn hard I hated it. I hated it so much. I was like, what the fuck is happening? This is absolutely ridiculous. I really want to die. <laughs> Why did I pay money for this? Why? Why? <laughs> it's just so bad. And then also when he's actually Venom... And, like, taunting Peter in the final battle. He just comes off like a... He just comes off like a little dickhead. Like, he doesn't come off menacing. 
he's just making like playground insults and acting like your typical like high school 80s movie bully you know he just like says cringy shit like the moment he has like like a metal thing like sharp metal rod up against Peter's throat and he's like and he says something like I like being bad it it makes me happy it's like come on man that's that's the one of the worst lines I've ever heard from a supervillain and there's just so many bad lines from supervillains in movies it's ridiculous like Christ I could probably there's a lot of bad lines from villains in the MCU but at least for the most part in the MCU the villains make those stupid lines for a reason and because of maybe the actors that they get for those villains or whatever they don't sound as cringy as they do than most of the fucking lines from just characters in general in these movies I don't I don't know it's just the the entire trilogy has so many things and I could nitpick all day like all the problems that I have with the entire trilogy but I just kind of wanted to cover those basic grounds about like the things that I get pissed off about when people say that it's more comic accurate than the MCU so I guess to kind of be fair I should point out some stuff that I sort of touched on in last episode about the MCU's Peter Parker and how he's handled. Um, so I think one of the biggest points of contention with the MCU's Peter Parker is his connection to Iron Man, which I, after watching some videos just before I started recording, I think I now have the perfect argument for why his connection to a bigger hero makes sense. In the comics, back in 1962, Amazing Fantasy number 15, Spider-Man was introduced on his own. He was by himself doing his own thing, being his own hero, right? That, you know, we're all aware of that. He was one of the first major Marvel heroes in the comics. Again, this is something that I don't really have to say, but you'll understand why I'm making these observations. So, when Sam Raimi made his trilogy, and, you know, Peter's, again, the only hero, and, you know, he's the one that everyone in New York looks up to, it makes sense that he's just really good at what he does, even though, again, that's another thing I could definitely nitpick about that version of Peter, but let's just keep going with this point. When it comes to the MCU Spider-Man, they introduced this version of Peter Parker into a universe that had been going for eight years at this point and already had, I'm pretty sure, around 20 heroes already pre-established. You can't just thrust Peter Parker into this world and have him just be the best of the best. Because then it's kind of like a Captain Marvel situation where everyone after seeing Captain Marvel and how powerful she was in her solo movie, everyone started being like, oh, well, where was she during all the other major events? Like, where was she during the Chitauri attack and the first Avengers? And where was she during Ultron and Age of Ultron? Where was she during Infinity War when Thanos first showed up? 
you know, if Spider-Man had just shown up into the MCU in Civil War and was just automatically super powerful, doing things on his own, like he didn't care about wanting anyone's help, everyone would be like, oh, well, then where was he during the last eight years of the MCU? Where was he during Avengers? Where was he just in general? You can't do that. You can't just throw him in. So, here's here's something. I'm pretty sure everyone is... Well, not maybe, maybe not everyone, but I'm sure mostly everyone is aware of the fact that they wanted to integrate Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker into the MCU. Like, they wanted to put the Oscorp building from The Amazing Spider-Man into the skyline of New York in Avengers to eventually bring over Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. And in that situation... It would have worked why he just wanted to be his own hero and occasionally teamed up with the Avengers when they needed him. But this is them completely introducing a new version of Spider-Man who's young. He's 15, 16 years old. And they even address it in Civil War. He's only had his powers for about six months by that point. And he's, for the most part, just been a low-level, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man stopping, you know low-level thugs, criminals, thieves, whatever. So, the reason they have Peter under Tony Stark's wing for Civil War, for Homecoming, Infinity War, and then why he looms so largely over Peter in Far From Home is because Tony saw Peter's potential and was like, this kid can definitely be the hero that everyone looks up to but without any of the flaws that I myself had and all the things that I got myself into so Peter's connection to Tony in the MCU is perfectly justified in universe people just refuse to look at that and just say oh but the comics do it like this it's like shut the fuck up about the comics this is another problem I have with the MCU people keep comparing it to the comics as if they are the same thing. The MCU is so far removed from how the comics do things that the MCU is just its own Marvel universe at this point. I mean, it even has a designated multiverse number in the comics. I'm pretty sure it's Earth 199999. I think it's five nines, five or six nines, something like that. But anyway, the MCU, yes, there are pieces of comics and like stories and arcs that they take from to build their stories but other than that they pretty much tell their own stories that don't directly pull from the comics civil war was completely different from the comics infinity war and endgame is completely different from the infinity gauntlet story from the comics you know like it's simple stuff like this that people need to stop talking about and then one of the other big things that I've seen people talk about when it came to Tom Holland's Peter Parker is that he draws too many characteristics from Miles Morales, which I still don't completely see. I don't get that argument, I'll be honest. That's the one that I really don't get. I could see people's problems with the Iron Man you know, debate, but that one I think can be argued and justified in its own ways. So, and the thing is, like, after Far From Home, I'm pretty sure 
Tony is barely going to be mentioned going forward when it comes to Peter's story uh, until, you know, it gets to when he teams up with the other Avengers and possibly comes across like, uh, uh, excuse me, when he comes across like Ironheart when she shows up later through her Disney Plus show. But other than that, like I said, I'm pretty sure as of now, we're not going to be hearing about much of Tony Stark and Peter's MCU story going forward. So people need to stop bitching about that, in my opinion. Anyway, um, with the Miles Morales comment, it's like, I don't get it. Because the MCU's Peter still has all the backstory as comics Peter. He lost Uncle Ben, bitten by a radioactive spider, you know, starts off with a shitty homemade costume. He's, you know, he's nerdy, he's dorky, kind of awkward, but slowly gets a bit more confidence as, it, as he grows into being Spider-Man as well. Miles Morales, he's always just been, like, kind of like a natural, you know, kid just in Brooklyn. And after he gets his powers, he just kind of, like, if anything, he's kind Miles Morales is kind of the reverse of Peter Parker. Because, like, he is this super confident, super, you know, like, well-socially-adjusted kid. And then when he gets the, when he gets his powers... As Spider-Man, he's kind of, like, super nervous, and he's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I, you know, this this is starting to make life harder for me. Like, that's when life starts to get hard for Miles, is when he becomes Spider-Man. For Peter, life has always just been difficult for himself. You know, he's always had to deal with, you know, not being able to talk to girls well, people picking on him at school, you know, not really fitting in, only having a very small group of friends, which, by the way... Another thing the Raimi movies get wrong is that Peter's only friend is Harry Osborn, which is not the case at all. Peter has, like, a small group of friends in the classic comics, but they just decided to completely ignore that just so it could be like, oh, he's kind of all alone except for Harry and sort of MJ, even though MJ's dating Flash Thompson. You know, it's shit like that. Um, But yeah, the Miles Morales comparisons I really don't get. Maybe it's a few minor character things, but it's like, all right, whatever. I really don't know if you can compare Peter to Miles anymore after Into the Spider-Verse and Spider-Man Miles Morales for the PlayStation, which both showed different interpretations of Miles, but still completely showed him as his own character and having his own, you know, family life, his own personal struggles, his own, you know, relationships and friendships. So... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm mute on that whole argument. I just don't see it as, you know, reasonable or having any, you know, background support to it or evidence to it. And yeah, like I mentioned last episode, Peter's friend in the MCU, Ned Leeds, is based off of Genki, who is Miles' best friend in the comics, but it's like, it's just, even to me... After watching the entire watching entire gameplay through Spider-Man Miles Morales on YouTube and then also having watched both Homecoming and Far From Home a number of times, I still think Genki and Ned are completely different characters aside from some physical and a few minor character things. Other than that, they're completely different to me. Like, to me, Genki is a lot more just like he's kind of just more naturally involved in 
Miles as Spider-Man. Like, he's doing all this stuff to help him kind of, you know, weave his way around being a superhero. And then Ned, you know, he's been Peter's friend for however long we that's still something that's not super clear right now but it's at least long enough for them to be able to build legos together and have a cool handshake um but aside from disabling um you know the training protocol on peter's uh suit and trying to get in contact with happy in homecoming he hasn't really been like super helpful for peter in terms of being a superhero he's just kind of there for you know to be peter's best friend and moral support and you know try to help boost him through whatever he's got to get through so yeah i just like i said and then when it comes to peter's character you know his his connection to people in his life you know his friends family that he has left hit you know his determination to push through and do what he has to do to keep people safe his willingness to put himself in danger for others i see that all in tom holland's peter parker and there's multiple examples i could run through but i barely see any of it in toby Maguire's peter parker like he doesn't seem selfless to me at all he really doesn't you know it's it's and it i don't get why he's written like that like he just seems like he doesn't really care unless he has to like in spider-man one in the scene where he goes into the burning building um to save you know a baby and then an old woman but then it's not actually an old woman it's green goblin but anyway it like i really think that had no firefighters or people been outside the building who saw spider-man i 100 percent feel like toby Maguire's spider-man would have just kept swinging and ignored it and been like oh there's firefighters there they have it covered i don't have to get involved but Tom Holland Spider-Man, he goes out of his way to chase Vulture and his crew on a ferry because he knows if he doesn't stop them from whatever they're doing now, things could get much worse. Do you see like do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it ends up being a stupid move and Tony gets pissed off about it, but Peter was just trying to do the right thing. He was trying to step in and stop things. It's it's literally a follow-up to his line in Civil War where he says if you don't do anything and then the bad things happen, they happen because of you. That It's literally a direct follow-up to that line, and I don't get why people just ignore shit like this. It makes me so, so, so mad. You know, this is why I just personally think that Tom Holland's Spider-Man is way more comic accurate than Tobey Maguire's. And I... Listen, I don't know how you feel on this whole thing. I don't know how anyone listening feels about you know this topic but i hope that with the way i spoke about things and how i presented a lot of this i hope maybe i get some of you to even partially agree with me but you know i'm just i just wanted to kind of get all of 
I just kind of wanted to get all of this out and really discuss it as best as I could. There's definitely a lot more things that I could talk about between these two versions of Spider-Man, but I I don't want to I don't want to open this sh- you know this show with you know like five straight episodes talking about Spider-Man. I do want to talk about other topics. So for now, I will close the book on this topic. I'll probably revisit it at some point but for now this is the end of this conversation next episode i'll probably get into you know maybe some more marvel i might even jump to some dc maybe star wars i'm not quite sure yet but anyway thank you for um joining me for this nerdy conversation and uh i hope you can join me for the next one peace